BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. From 30 Rockefeller Plaza headquarters of Sci-Fi Wire in New York City, it is January 19th, and this is episode 59 of Who Won the Week, a podcast dedicated to the top stories from the week in geek. I'm Aaron Sagers, editor at large of Sci-Fi Wire, and I am joined by my cohorts, Adam. That's right. No, Adam Swiderski, editor in chief of Sci-Fi Wire, and Puce Ranger. Wow, uh, Danny Roth, contributing editor at SciFiWire.com, and Chartreuse Ranger, the worst color of all. Yeah, you guys are really like the. Not even the second tier. You're like the yeah. third tier yeah. of We're, Rangers. This podcast is already getting really off color. Oh, <laughs> oh God. Uh, I changed well, my mind. I am drinking now. <laughs> yeah. These colors have driven you to drink. Indeed. Um, but, yes, well, uh, before we get to that, um, before we get to why we're talking about C-list Power Rangers. Um, what are you guys geeking out about this week? What are you into? I'm gonna I'm gonna give a shout out to Spectral. I don't know if you guys have seen Spectral. It's on uh, Netflix. It's a Netflix original movie, although I believe it was produced for a studio and then dumped, and Netflix picked it up. It's a military action film uh, set in Moldova, I believe, and about soldiers special. Forces soldiers taking on basically ghosts. I, you know, we were just my my fiance and I were just you know bouncing around Netflix looking for something to watch, and happened on that. It had all the good stars, so we all the you know in terms of the ratings, so we checked it out. Uh, no big names in it. I think the biggest name is Bruce Greenwood, but it was actually a fun little action movie. Uh, you know, it's got some good concepts. It really the the there's a real dedication to the fact that like. When you don't know what's going on, you have to apply the scientific method and figure it out and not fall back on superstition and all this stuff. And uh, better than I thought, better than, seriously better than I thought it was going to be. It kind of falls apart a little, gets cheesy at the end a little bit with some of the technology and stuff. But but overall, I, I really enjoyed it. So, uh, you know, if you're looking, if you're Netflix and chilling and actually do want to do the Netflix part and looking for something to watch, maybe check out Spectral. I didn't really figure you for uh, watching a ghost-related show. Well, it's not—it's not a horror film, and it's not—it's more—it's—it's kind of like Aliens, except with ghosts. And I don't want to say you know they are ghosts, like in terms of all the characteristics, but there is a scientific explanation for it that they get into in the film, uh, which I appreciated as a man of skepticism. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a prolonged conversation, perhaps for another day. But I think that that's the the interesting thing about people who study these things and are interested in these things is the people that are the diehard believers and then the diehard cynics, and then in the middle are people that are skeptics of varying degrees. And I know people that are think that something is going on out there, but they try to use science to explain it. Um, and some of the interesting things that they look at are like parallel uh, dimensions and universes and quantum uh, theory and all that good stuff, which is that's the stuff where the supernatural and the horror uh, cross over with the science fiction stuff. So uh, it sounds like the kind of thing I would be into. Yeah, I mean, you, you might enjoy it. It's it's and, you know, it's it's a relatively low budget action movie so i'm not going to say it'll blow your mind from a special effects standpoint or from a you know action choreography standpoint but it it's it was fun you know it's like you like seeing a group of highly capable people in a desperate situation uh trying to dig their way out well i mean before i pass it to danny i'm actually going to jump in with what's winning my week and it was something that was taking place uh last night and uh, hopefully it will be something that continues on, and I think it's somewhat related to what you were saying. Um, Guillermo del Toro, 
course, the director we all love and know and geek out about, um, posted on Twitter that if he got, I think it was 100,000 likes on his tweet, he would sit down with Ron Perlman and sit down with the studio to explore doing Hellboy 3. Now, this is a, a story that I think a lot of us thought was, was just done, dead and buried, um, you know, and he said that people weren't interested in it. Ron Perlman has said, can't get the budget together, um, couldn't get people together. Mike Mignola, who's the creator of Hellboy, was less interested in it, and he said he would sit down with him as well. Uh, well, of course, that got uh, uh, plenty of likes. I don't know what the final count was. So now Guillermo del Toro is saying, okay, we'll get these guys on board and pursue a conversation. That doesn't mean Hellboy 3 is going to happen, but a conversation will take place. And I think that that is uh, it's interesting that, you know, well, it's interesting that news can be made on Twitter in that way. Um, but uh, I don't know. And it's somewhat in the vein of, of Spectral insofar as, of course, Hellboy is a you know, paranormal researcher and fights monsters and goes after ghosts and everything. And uh, it's very much the comic books. Hellboy is my jam. BPRD is my jam. And I really hope that this happens. It's very much the Deadpool effect, I think. I think if Deadpool hadn't happened, no studio head would take a meeting based on that. But because we had, you know, the Deadpool test footage came out, social media went crazy, and then the movie made a bazillion dollars that people are going to be more open to the idea of, oh, maybe an internet groundswell of fan support could actually translate to dollar-dollar bills, y'all. Not to be cynical about it, but the thing is, is 100,000 people, it's not a lot as far as buying tickets for a movie, and and that's assuming all 100,000 of those people show up. You still need a lot more. But... It is a step in the right direction. It's at least a promising step. And, and even though it's just a minor piece of news, uh, it did it did kind of pique my interest and make me excited. So in a small way, it did win my week. How about you, Danny? Well, I'm also excited about Hellboy 3 and the Twitter likes. That's the title of the movie. Um, <laughs> but I'm also excited uh, to have finally had a chance to see uh, The Autopsy of Jane Doe. Have you seen that one yet, Aaron? Uh, no, but I've been hearing about that, actually. It's really entertaining. Um, I would say, like uh, Spectral, it is a bit of uh, just a diversion, really. I mean, there's not anything deep about it, but it's suitably scary. It's well-written. It's a nice little character piece. It's about uh, a father and son who work uh, at, at a funeral home, and it just unfolds in a really great way. It's just a nice little distraction if you like horror movies very well executed a lot of fun um i don't know i don't know why it is that i'm running out of great things to say about it it's just it really i was surprised at how good it was um it's sort of in the vein of uh that ouija prequel that came out not the greatest thing i've ever seen but really if you're stressed out about life and just want something that is going to entertain you and be a bit of a roller coaster ride it's a really great option it's interesting. I feel like we're, we're going to this was this wasn't released theatrically, right? Or uh, was it? If it was, it was real quick in and yeah. out, but um it is available now that I can tell you. Given we're going to see so much of this going forward, I think movies like Spectral or this movie that you know, it, back in the day would have kind of gotten a low budget theatrical release, but now the way studios are hedging their bets with the blockbusters, this stuff is going to just pop up on video, but still be definitely worth checking out. Oh, look, man, that's exactly how it was back in the day when it used to be that there was no way that you could get access easily to the big budget films on VHS, so they would fill the racks at your mom and pop shop with a lot of weird old B horror movies and B action movies and stuff. I think that that's it's it's a very similar situation with digital now. So a lot of these things that don't necessarily get a big or any kind of theatrical release uh, can still find life in this digital vein. So I definitely think that. Um, Autopsy of Jane Doe is one of those movies that it's got, um, uh, what's his face, who plays Stryker in uh, X-Men 2. The older Stryker, the OG Stryker. Brian Cox? Yes, that's wow. the name of that guy. And he's great in it. I mean, he's absolutely fantastic. Um, it's a really, and the kid that played uh, Speed Racer in the Speed Racer movie. 
Emil Hirsch. There you go. Thanks for uh, having the answers that I didn't have. You got it. Um, uh, but yeah, they're both in it, and they're father and son, and they really do, I think, deliver a a solid performance uh, in a nice little. Um, I don't know if it's a ghost story, a little bit, but um, it's definitely got some scares, and it really. It's. I'm a little surprised that it didn't get a big theatrical release because it is good enough to merit it. But if you get a couple bucks and you just want to watch something at home, I would really highly recommend. I'd be curious to find out about the budget on that one. I'm sure you could easily look it up, but I mean, it's all basically just in one space, so uh, I'm sure it was very, very, very cheap to produce. Assuming Netflix continues, which we assume they will, just buying up movies and throwing some money to make these movies, it really eliminates one of the big parts of movie making is marketing. You know, spending twenty million dollars to market a movie and try to sell it. And also, you can, it proves that you can get good actors, capable actors like Brian Cox or Emile Hirsch, uh, and tell a good story, a nice tight story for a smaller budget. I think that this is a really interesting time for creators, and it makes me excited because it, it, it opens the playing field for people that are not marquee names. And really, what is a marquee name anymore, anyhow, other than a couple, a couple actors? So... Yeah, I, I'm excited about that kind of thing. Now, what you guys at home can't see are the giant sacks of money with, like, dollar bills on the sign that have just been dropped in front of Danny and myself, respectively, for promoting those films on this there podcast. There you go. Obviously, so obviously. We're that's just, the marketing budget just for the movie. Chills, yeah. yeah, I mean, I agree. I like. I just like anything that has a quality that is so small and intimate yeah. that it feels almost theatrical in the Broadway sense. Um, I like that. I like something that almost feels like you you dare not speak because you might feel like the actors would hear you and would be interrupted. And certainly, um, certainly, uh, Autopsy of James Doe has that quality to it, which I really enjoy. Very cool. Well, uh, Adam referenced that. Uh, well, actually, you did, Danny uh, referenced, and then we agreed that Brian Cox was striker in Wolverine or uh, X Men Two, which I think is a a benchmark a high point of that franchise but now we have the second trailer for logan the james mangold uh final hugh jackman bow as wolverine which is coming out in march uh we saw that trailer and i'm curious i mean this has certainly got more violence it's got a lot more going on with it in this trailer what was your initial reactions? Does this make you more excited for this movie, Adam? It does. I am all on board for this. And I I say that as someone who's very critical of the Wolverine movie franchise, such as it is. I didn't particularly love the Wolverine uh, because of, I don't know. It's just I, I have this problem with Wolverine movies because he always loses and somehow wins anyway, which I find weird. Uh, but... Um, no, I'm really into this. I'm into the dynamic with him. We got a lot more of uh, X-23 in this trailer, the young Wolverine clone slash offspring. Uh, and I'm really excited for their relationship. I love what I've seen of uh, Patrick Stewart as 90-year-old, decrepit, on the brink of death, Charles Xavier. Um, I think it's going to be cool. And I, I just love the way it looks like they're treating it. It's going to be R-rated, obviously. We got two... F-bombs in the uh, Red Band trailer, which means this is most definitely an R-rated film. You're only allowed one F-bomb in a PG-13 movie. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm in. I'm hyped. I just like that it feels as though um, we're telling a story about a young woman who I think represents um, a lot of women in fandom and a lot of the future of where fandom and a lot of storytelling in genres like comic book movies are headed. Uh, and this, um, this older male community sort of feeling like they're in the last dregs. Uh, and in a weird time in history where things are going on and maybe some of the younger male voices are not quite what they hoped that they would be and saying, is there anything left for me to say? And to whom am I speaking? And I do feel as though... Charles Xavier and Logan are trying to speak to X-23 and in turn to um, a younger generation of people who are the ones that we were supposed to be reaching out to with books like X-Men. The, the dispossessed, the outsiders, the, the queer kids and the people of color and, and the folks that were treated like 
mutants in the real world. So I feel like that's the story that they're trying to tell. And if they succeed in telling that story, then I think it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, I, I certainly enjoyed the seeing more of X-23 in this trailer and just the opening little scene we got in the um, in the, the convenience store I thought was pretty cool. Uh, although it's funny because it made it seem a little bit more contemporary than I, I, I thought this was going to be more uh, dystopic future and that felt a little bit more modern, I guess. Um, what you don't know is that that convenience store is the only source of food in the entire state of Texas. And it's still run by uh, that one guy like who is in every convenience store. Exactly. So that's, yeah. that's as dystopian as it gets. Strangely ordinary things are afoot at the Circle K. I really like what I'm seeing of this young girl, and I hope they really utilize her and, and build her up as a nice character uh, the way she appears to be. And yeah, I, I, I enjoy the older Professor X, who oddly, after losing all his hair, is managing to grow just some back in the back of his head uh, as he's 90 years old. Um, but I'm not going to quibble. I mean, let, let Professor X grow some hair in the back of his head. That apocalypse thing was a long time ago, you know, eventually. And it's the future, so maybe there's, like, he's been just applying Mega Rogaine for a while. Yeah. What did, hey, Aaron, what did you, we talked about this, we did a, a, a quick Facebook Live thing that probably six people saw, but um, the fact that there are X-Men comics in this universe, how do you feel about that? I am interested in it because if this is far enough in the future, or even if it's, you know, 20 years, it would seem like society would react to these heroes or these figures by through comic books, you know? Uh, I mean, so it's a storytelling um, medium. So, yeah, why not? Like, that sort of makes sense. I mean, we have a comic book about you know, Representative John Lewis in March. Um, so it would make sense that these, that that society would have comic books. Um, so, yeah, I'm okay with it. I thought it was funny. I dug it. I was into it. You know, I saw an article talking about how uh, if in the comic books Logan has the costume that is more in keeping with the costume that we know from the comics, does that mean that perhaps at some point in this film, we will finally get that yellow costume. Absolutely not. I would be You really stunned. think that it's never going to happen? No, not in this movie. Not with really? old, decrepit Wolverine. Now, I they don't did that, know. Like, they might, what if they did like a quick flashback and he's a, wearing it? That's going to destroy any... They're, if they're going for this bleak tone, that is going to destroy that instantly. I, kinda, I don't know. I kind of feel like you could make it work. Aaron, be the tiebreaker on this. What do you think? I got to go with Adam on this you one, I think. You guys are both wrong. But but remember this, the I think it was the extras or the deleted ending of uh, or or maybe it was a stinger scene. Yeah, they did show it in a in a suitcase. Um, I know, but he's not he's not wearing it. I don't know. I feel like there's a way to sell it. You guys can feel however you want to feel. Maybe this is a, I'm weirdly not cynical about Logan. I I uncharacteristically so, but I have a hope that there's a way to sort of. Sneak it in. Oh, I'm not cynical about the movie. I think the movie's going to be great. I just think that doing that would undermine a lot of what it seems like they're going for. Admittedly, we're only talking about a couple trailers, you know, but tonally there has been nothing wacky. And that costume is, is whatever else you want to say about it, is pretty wacky. You say so. I'm going to keep drinking my rum. <laughs> if they were going to do anything, it would have to be either a stylized dream sequence or flashback of... The you know full on headgear Scott Summers and uh, and and uh, Wolvey and his probably I don't know if they would go blue or if they would go the brown version but it would it would really they would really have to frame it in a way that yeah it didn't look hokey I I, I mean we've seen some amazing costume designs in superhero movies as of late but that's a bridge too far. Yeah, but I say, and the one other thing I want to point out that I, I, I liked about the trailer is that, and we, Danny and I again talked about this very briefly earlier, uh, is that it seems like X twenty three at this point in the story is more lethal than Wolverine. I mean, we see Wolverine basically overpowered and getting stepped on by the villain Pierce. I think is his name, the leader of the Reavers, and 
then X-23 comes out and he seems genuinely frightened by her. And she obviously has already dispatched the guy they sent in to go get her out of that warehouse or whatever. So I thought that was kind of cool is that you've got a Wolverine on the on the decline powers wise, even not even just age. And, uh, you know, in terms of his how formidable he is. And meanwhile, there's this other character coming up who's kind of surpassed him or has the potential to surpass him. I thought that was neat yeah. touch. Well, I think um, moving on, you know, we mentioned Hokey and this next trailer, uh, the entire basis of the of the franchise, I think, was always had an element of hokiness. Uh, so Power Rangers, we have the trailer for that new movie and trying to be a big blockbuster uh, special effects movie and yet attempting to stay true to the roots of the story. Um, what was your... I have to say, I was not a Power Rangers kid. I think I just missed that that franchise a little bit. Um, so my knowledge and awareness is through younger family members and, and you know, just sort of through the uh, osmosis. But I have no loyalty to this this franchise. Um, and I thought that the, the trailer looked fine, fun, goofy. Um, what was your take on it, Adam? Well, it's funny. I I was certainly too old to watch Power Rangers when it came out, which does not mean that I did not watch it because I this was a ritual for me. I think my freshman year of college is that, and I'm dating myself horribly here, but my friends and I would gather in the lounge uh, because there was only one TV on the floor, of course, at that time, and uh, and watch every afternoon and watch Power Rangers Stone Cold Sober, I might add. Uh, just every single day. So I saw a ton of Power Rangers. And I guess this, the thing about this trailer is, and, and the way they're setting up the film, I don't quite know who it's for. Because it certainly does have the elements of the Power Rangers franchise, you know, the main architecture there and who the characters are and Zordon and all that stuff. But it's tonally so far off of the show that I don't know that someone who loved Power Rangers as a kid or even a young adult is going to come into it and be like, yeah, this is the thing I remember. This is the thing that I love so much. So that nostalgia element uh, is going to kind of be dampened. And But a new for a new audience coming in cold, I don't know what the hook is over every other superhero movie that's out there, every other mid-budget action sci-fi movie that's out there. I don't quite know from their end, what they're going to get out of it. So, I, you know, it, I, I, it, ah, I'm stumbling over it so much because I just, I just don't know. I don't, it, it, it could be amazing. They could come out. It's again, we're talking about two minute trailers here. And at the end of the day, it could be a lot of fun and something we can all embrace. But as someone who watched a lot of power Rangers, it didn't click with me on that level. If that makes sense. No, I, I think that, I think it makes sense. Um, and I, I can see your point on it because, yeah, is it for kids? Is it for the adult fans? I think the adult fans want to see what they want to see. I, it's tricky. It's tricky giving fans what they want because then it's not something that's going to necessarily pull in new audiences. Um, I do think that it had – it felt a little bit like the old show insofar as there seemed to be some corniness, but – on a bigger scale. The one thing that I hope that comes out of this is that if it does really well, that it proves that giant, um, you know, mech suit, giant robot stories can be told because people were kind of dogging on Pacific Rim or other movies, um, monster, giant monster movies, kaiju movies. So if this does well, it hopefully shows that, hey, we can do this and it can be profitable. Um, Danny, what's your take? Uh, you know, I think that they're definitely coming at it from a if it weren't for Transformers place. Uh, it definitely has that vibe to me, that Michael Bay Transformers movies vibe. Uh, and while I don't like those movies, they made billions. So what do I know? Um, but I mean, I thought the trailer was was fine. And uh, I mean, it would be great. It would be great if it was successful. And as a result, you got like a a Macross or a, or a Robotech or a Gundam out of it. That'd be pretty cool. Um, there are a lot of or things. Or a Voltron. That, yeah, or a Voltron. I mean, really any of the above. There are so many of those uh, mech-related franchises that I think could be interesting. 
uh, transferred. But I don't know. I Transformers did so well, and it was a pretty far cry from what the cartoon and the cartoon movie were like. So as somebody that, again, was also just a little bit old for Power Rangers, but had cousins who I, I babysat for and really loved uh, that franchise quite a bit, I I kind of wish. There's a part of me that almost feels like I should just cus- call my cousin Robert up and be like, what do you think about it? Yeah. Um, because I feel like he's the one that would have the answer to that. Um, I feel like it has a real shot at doing well. I think that certainly in 2017 when people are, again, I think looking for things that are flashbang, exciting distractions, it's got a real shot. I don't know if it's going to be good. Um, I hope Elizabeth Banks is allowed to have as much fun as I think she wants to have. Yeah. Um, and if she does, I think in that case it could be pretty enjoyable. But I guess I just look at it as a movie that was pretty thoroughly not made for my nostalgia. But, boy, um, 90s kids, this is their this is their thing, or or, or their jam, as, 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 as you so often say, Aaron. It's um, their time. It's their it, time down here. Right, it's their time down here. Up, up, up there, it's our time, I guess. We're the yuppies in this Goonies analogy. We've, but, become, we've become the adults in yeah, the Goonies. Oh, I my God. Think, I do think that, that they've really sort of reached that point. So, I mean, we'll see. I have no idea how, if they're going to operate the way that we did, but certainly I think it's got a real shot. Um, how did you guys feel about um, Bill Hader? That's a real in the two seconds of, that's, of but voice that's totally that we got. Immediately, he's kind of almost a little bit snarky. It's it's very different from that. Like ay ay ay, like you know what I mean. That's a that's a whole different take on that character. It is, it is. But I mean, by necessity, I don't think a, a modern, you know, teen to adult audience would embrace that old aesthetic all that much. Um, I do want to say, as someone, I I am a huge fan of giant mecha uh, or mecha of all kinds, really, and so. I certainly hope you guys are right, and we get a lot more of that. Um, you know, I, I, I go to bat for Pacific Rim at all times. But um, my concern being as someone who watched a lot of Power Rangers, the show followed a very specific pattern in which the giant robot versus giant monster part was really like the last three minutes of Act 3. You know, it was just like, it, it was very basic. Oh, I think it'll probably be a big third act. So we'll get that, and we'll get it once, and it'll be over. So I, I'm i not counting on this to be the movie that sells people on giant mecha movies. I mean, they're, they're, you know, Robot- a Robotech film has been being kicked around for a long time. So that's still a possibility. And, man, it w- I will say, if the success of Power Rangers leads to a Robotech film, then I... Well, hundred percent. There's a listen, man. There's a million permutations. Because I love me some Robotech. I really, I mean, I did laugh a little bit. I know it's it's so corny that they did the thing where the monster was gold, and they're like, "Wow, it's a lot of gold." And I was like, "It's Goldar, get it?" Ah." Ah. But um, but look, if it's if it's good, there's so many there's so many opportunities. Um, My money would be, uh, even though I'm not sure I ever saw a version that I loved loved. The bubblegum crisis and the bubblegum crash. Uh. That stuff is really cool, and that's like Lady Mech. I'm way into that, and like maybe like a a live action Evangelion. Whoa! If you could actually pull that off, that would be like obscenely great. So I think it's going to be a mixture of how Power Rangers performs and then how uh, Ghost in the Shell performs. Right. These are sort of the things that are going to tell the tale as to how uh, the future of live action mecha is going to go. And Pacific Rim too, because we are getting Pacific Rim too. Right, we are just starting to get that stuff. I mean, Boyega is really, I think, going such a long way in selling that because everybody loves that guy, and rightfully so. I kind of think that if the fans had their way and made the updated movie that they wanted, it would probably look like that gritty James Vanderbeek. Oh, that was so good. Yeah, so so I, I kind of think the fans... And you see this with superheroes too. Like you know, they they want the superhero, but then maybe they want it updated to be a little bit more serious, or you know, to use the catchphrase "dark and gritty." Some people want that. So I kind of think that the fans, that's probably what they might want. Um, so we'll see what they think about what they get when Power Rangers opens. I have this allergic. I just broke out in hives because I have this allergic reaction now to things that were awesome for kids suddenly being made adult. Um, I don't know. I've been having that. It's like the whole dark, grim, dark Superman thing. It's like this thing we all fell in love with when we were seven years old because it was fun and light and pure. And but now it needs to be dark because we're all grown ups and screw the kids of today. 
that uh, I mean, which I'm sure is not what they're saying when they well, make it's okay. this movie. Look, you but... can just watch X Men Apocalypse. It's got Ivan Ooze in it, so it'll be yeah, fine. Yeah, exactly. No, so I, I just I, I really, as much as I hear what you're saying, Aaron, that that the fact that that keeps happening just it depresses me. Let the, let the kids have the kids stuff. You know, it's okay. There's lots of adult stuff out there, like Wolverine. Exactly. Here's a question about whether or not it will be out there or not. Um, Star Trek Discovery. Uh, it, actually, Danny, why don't you set this up? Explain what's going on with the, the CBS All Access show. Well, it was supposed to come out in May, and now it ain't. And they have no idea when it's going to come out. And I think that the conversation is, is this a good thing or a bad thing that it's been delayed? Because what CBS has said is, we'll put it out when it's ready. We don't want to put out something that's not good for the sake of putting it out at the time that we said we were going to put it out. And I think that there is good and bad in there, but the concern, the fear is that um, what if it never comes out? And there have been people already saying, like, this is never going to come out at all. So before I give my opinion, I would be curious how uh, the two of you feel. Adam, what do you think? Well, and this is coming on the, fe- on the, heels, on the heels of Brian Fuller right. leaving. So this is not striking me, at least from an outsider's perspective, as a particularly smooth production process, um, which obviously is cause for concern. Um, but I don't. I mean, listen. I don't. I'm I don't care when it comes out if it's good. If that, if it's going to take a delay to make it a better show, fine. Um, I just hope that that's what it is and that it's not indicative of a larger. Uh, problem that's going to lead to decay and eventual collapse of this whole endeavor. There's a cast in place, and it looks like a good cast, and we just got James Frain, uh, who, uh, Danny, you know from Gotham, or right. you know, we've seen him as a character actor in a bunch of uh, great movies. And so there's a good cast in place, and I'm interested in seeing this cast, in the Star Trek universe. I am kind of concerned as far as I know they're starting production, assuming Sonequa Martin Green stays alive on The Walking Dead. I'm sure that that probably takes precedence. So if it if production actually gets delayed too, too much, that might end up being a problem for her, for keeping her on board. I don't think this is a red flag, but I don't think that it's necessarily showing that, as Adam said, it's not necessarily uh, presenting a smooth transition and a smooth production, but I don't think it's a bad thing yet. My concern about Star Trek Discovery, I think a lot of it has to do with this CBS All Access. There's only two original shows. There's the Good Wife spinoff and then Star Trek Discovery. This is a subscription uh, channel, so a subscription plat- platform. So you're expecting people to spend money just to watch both of those shows or one of those shows. So I'm curious about the benchmark for success here. I want them to get it right, but how, how will we know whether or not it was a successful endeavor? You know, um, I'm concerned about that, about people actually watching it and, and whether or not enough people will show up to watch it and how CBS will respond. Because if not enough people subscribe, it's going to be considered a failure. I agree, and I have a I have a big concern in that the longer that we wait and the more um, problems that arise, the more that you're going to see ugly commentary. That You know, this is, this is sort of the unfortunate thing about fandom is that, you know, you'll see it come out, and uh, there was a, a, a comment, which I'll just say I don't agree with, um, when we, we talked about this, where somebody said, Oh, well, the reason this isn't happening is because they had to get rid of all the white men because everybody's got to be gay and black. And I said, well, that's unfortunate that this is the way that this is being spun because Star Trek is supposed to be a progressive television show. And um, not only do I not want that to be the perception that we can't get it done because SJWs are ruining everything, but also there really is a need for Star Trek right now, I think, Um I think it's so necessary uh, that we have that story that says, hey, what if we survive all of this nonsense? What if we survive all this divisive mess and actually make it out into space and are good enough with each other that we're able to deal with the challenges of alien life in a way that means that we could build a federation? 
of planets. That's a big deal. And I think we need that kind of positivity, even if there is like human complexity and drama in that. The fact that that is an undercurrent always that we're able to pull that off is so, 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 so crucial. And that was, I mean, even Deep Space Nine, which I would say is the greatest of morally of the shows, had this aspirational element to it. Sometimes you have to struggle with moral quandaries, but you can always try to do better and strive to be better. And I thought that was great. Even when you have that moment where the Dominion is coming in and there is some pretty morally gray territory, um, there is still that idea of we can work together in order to make it so that these different cultures are all going to continue to be able to have their governments and their religions and their philosophies and their cultures uh, intact without somebody else coming in to destroy them. Um, so I do think that, that Star Trek is so crucial right now. Um, and so, so my get on it, CBS. I mean, they've really got to figure it out because the more bad news that comes through, uh, I think the harder it's going to be for them and the harder it's going to be for audiences to embrace it. Uh, and certainly I have heard from people that know people, you know, friend of a friend stuff, which happens a lot, um, saying that behind the scenes, things are not going great. And every time you hear something like that, it's just it adds it adds to the pile and makes it harder to to sell that thing. Well, and you see this with movies all the time that if a movie has to go back in for reshoots, it, it could be just dealing with some minor things or tightening up some plot elements, but automatically that's associated to the, the story of the of the movie or the narrative, the perception of the movie. We saw it with Rogue One, we saw it with Suicide Squad, we saw it with... Um, and, and it's something that people talk about. So when you have a turnover of creatives or showrunners or reshoots, yeah, it does all start adding to the perception um, and then it can develop a stink that is hard to wash off. So... Um, I want this thing to be great because I love Star Trek, but I am con- I, I, I'm I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but I hope that it's not just another piece of news that adds to a overall negative perception. Uh, but we will find out eventually whenever uh, whenever uh, CBS All Access decides to let us know that this show is coming or when it's coming. I still think I didn't. I just still think, man, did they mess up with the title of the show? Because that is the worst acronym you could possibly hope for for your television show. STD, come on, gotta catch them all. That's that's just bad karma from the start. Except unless you look at the the angle of, you know, once it happens, it'll never go away. <laughs> so let's spin that into a positive, okay? <laughs> Good man. luck. Go for it. CBS marketing department. You can call us anytime. We got you. We're really on this one. Yeah. We mentioned Star Trek, and it certainly, as Danny said, it is a show that is aspirational and uh, and inspiring and um, hopefully fills us with hope. And we're heading into the inauguration of the next president. And regardless of your feelings about that, you know, I was I, I was talking to you guys, of course, about how it always makes me think about leaders and leaders within popular culture. And I think that the leaders, the fictional leaders that we read about in comic books, books, movies, TV, can really have a, a true impact on us and on our own characters. And I was curious about what are some of the leaders in pop culture, in fiction, that inspired you or that you thought were a great leader and really left uh, a mark on you personally uh adam why don't why don't you begin Jeez, it's interesting too danny and i had a brief exchange about this before we started recording because i feel like a lot of the leaders that we see in especially in science fiction and fantasy who are on who are good who are the heroes are the revolutionaries Right. And but there's that old maxim that revolutionary is easy and governance is hard. So we don't actually get to see, you know, how we, even even in Star Wars, we didn't get to see, well, after the Empire was vanquished, how did they run the Republic? And it was, uh, you know, a noble and honest form of government. There's a funny scene in, in Dungeons and Dragons, the movie, uh, 
which was a classic With film. With Tom Baker and also one of the Wayans. Yes, one of the Wayans and Jeremy Irons in the villain role. Right. But so, so uh, what was her name? Thora Birch is the, the right. queen who has to get put back into power. Up American Beauty. And there, so she, big spoilers for Dungeons and Dragons, the film. She, <laughs> she wins, right? They win. The good guys win. And she takes office and there's a scene going on with the hero and they're kind of off to the side while she's giving her big speech to the to the people and the first thing she goes is i now pronounce that you are all equal and everyone's like yay because that's how easy it is to create total equality in your society is just make a pronouncement from a balcony and suddenly it all works and so (laughs) that's what i always think of when i think of like uh you know trying to see these fictional characters actually govern but a long roundabout explanation to say that my pick would be Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise because, man, there is not a more competent, compassionate, intelligent, diplomatic, easy to look up to and generally together guy. Even when he's, you know, he's obviously got his Ahab issue with the Borg. But he pulls it together in a crisis, and I would follow Captain Jean-Luc Picard into the farthest reaches of the universe to boldly go where no one has gone before. You know, he made tough decisions, and they weren't—it's not as if everybody walked away winning. There was nuance. Nuance is a big word that, that you know, I, I would associate with uh, Picard, and as, as a— uh, younger kid watching the next generation, I agree. Like he, he was put in bad situations where he just had to figure it out. Yeah. It wasn't just you know kill the Klingons or declare everyone is equal or hug the Borg. It was yeah you know you got to deal with some terrible crap uh, and you can't just say data is is sentient and and let it be that. You have to prove it and you have to make your your first officer. Uh, prosecute him, you know, like, uh, so you're put in tough situations and you do the best with what you have. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. And I would certainly never say that Picard is in any way realistic. I mean, one of the things that makes Star Trek The Next Generation kind of a fantasy show is that everyone is so competent and so keen on doing the right thing generally. And, it's it's kind of absurd at certain points how you know this, the, the most amazing people in the entirety of starfleet all ended up in this one ship commanded by the most amazing guy earth has ever produced but since we're just picking from fictional characters here i'm sticking with it i mean i would i would argue that if you have a really strong leader who is dedicated to ethics and morality and is is able to somewhat handpick his his uh his crew his top you know, yes, there's going to be incompetence, but I think if you're operating from a strong moral and ethical standpoint and nuance, it increases your chances of being able to pick good people to support you. Oh, I, I agree with that 100%, but man, the next generation really le- leans into that. But I'm not, whatever, I'm, I love the next generation and in no way am I slamming the show. So let me put that out there. But uh, what you were saying was kind of an allegory for Sci-Fi Wire, right? And our team. Great, oh, great leadership. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. We are contractually obligated to agree, yeah, correct? Exactly, exactly. You know, you know that animated gif of Data throwing the, uh, or was it who throws the ball at uh, Data's daughter? And she misses it. And it's like, there's the joke. It just went over your, right over your head. That was me. <laughs> that was me just now with the terrible joke. I didn't sign any contracts. I'll say what I want. <laughs> uh, Danny, what is uh, what? What are your reactions to that? Are you going to stick with Star Trek, or is there? I, what I think is so amazing is that I actually was specifically going to say who is you know of the leads of the leaders on Star Trek. If you could pick one, which one would it be? Um, and I feel like you and I are going in the opposite direction of expectation because. I grew up on Next Gen. I love Next Gen the best because it has that nostalgia factor for me. Um, and and Picard is totally my space dad. But um, given the current political climate, I lean into Ben Sisko. He's the guy. He's the leader that I want. Um, there is a great 
speech that he gives um, from In the Pale Moonlight, and I'll give you one sentence that I think sells everything um, from it, which is, a guilty conscience is a small price to pay for the safety of the Alpha Quadrant. That man is a leader who does not require the luxury of moral certainty. And that is what I love about him. And that is why I think if I was going to pick a leader that I would want to follow or, or look to as an example in 2017, um, Captain Ben Sisko would be the one for me, for sure. Because he knows that sometimes you have to do an ugly thing to deal with impossible odds and circumstances. So that's the guy. That's the guy that jumped at for me. If I was going to pick any from anyone from Star Trek right now, that's my guy. And it's interesting because I think Ben Sisko to me is the Star Trek captain I most enjoy watching. Like I, Deep Space Nine is my favorite Star Trek show, hands down. I know. Um, but I, I was, I guess, I was just judging by a different criteria for myself personally uh, when it came to that pick. No, of course I was. You you were talking ideals, and I was talking the world is ending, and so. Yeah. I feel as though the best uh, the best option right now. I mean, look, here's the thing. You're either going to feel as though you're, you're, you're picked for who you like as an authority figure in fiction, for science fiction, or whatever genre you prefer. Um, I think it, depending on how you feel about Trump depends on what your answer is going to be. That's really the end of that story. I don't want to, like, make it any more gray than that. But, you know, um, for me, it's definitely Cisco because I'm feeling kind of, in a place where I need someone who is a revolutionary, someone who's going to rebel a little bit. That's definitely where my heart is. So Cisco is the natural answer for me based on that. I'm going to break away a little bit from the Star Trek answer and then um, move into comics because for me, and I mentioned this in some email exchanges, that I, I really love Superman as far as a character at his best in the comics, I feel like. Um and not really the current film representation of Superman, but the best version of comics was a hero that inspired and that you could look up to and presented the best of what we could be and what we could become. Um, however, it does get a little bit tricky when you consider that he is essentially an, a, a, a god or a demigod and um, and it leans a little bit too heavily into some uh, messiah complexes. So I would say doubled up with Superman would probably be Captain America as far as um, Captain America was always a character that Superman often in the comic books in these alternate futures would become a stooge or a lackey of the government or would finally decide to become a, a, a authoritarian type of leader. Whereas Captain America, even though he's clad in the flag, even though he looks like a symbol of propaganda, was a character that was always willing to break with the government and walk away from the government, put down the, the flag costume if he felt like it was being compromised or being asked to do unethical things in the name of the title or in the name of his, his government, sort of, uh, I think it's the Mark Twain quote, you know, uh, loyalty to country, always uh, loyalty to government when it deserves it. So Captain America, I think, is is another leader that inspires, but perhaps is more of a, uh, if you will, realistic or believable character or one that, that operated within um, a trickier with a trickier moral compass or ethical compass. I don't know. I guess it depends on what era of Captain America you're talking about, too, or what representation of him. Because I remember Captain America from the Ultimates kind of being a jerk. Oh, yeah, I don't want any part of that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I entirely agree with that. Yeah. And certainly not not Hydra Captain America right now, which is, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it is just a bad guy. But um, and, and there's been alternate parallel universe versions of Captain America that were darker... Um, but overall, he has been a character that when it's him and it's Steve Rogers on Earth-1 or whatever, or Earth-616, um, it was he, he's a guy that stands for what he believes and is willing to 
break rank with the uh, powers that be to stand for what he believes in. Anybody else on your list? Is there anybody else that jumped at you, Aaron? Because I ended up writing a whole bunch of people that I thought would be great. I'm probably waxing sentimental with some of these right now, but um, I mean, I would say that, I mean, he's such a whiny kid at times or a whiny individual, but overall, I do love the uh, the character of Peter Parker as a, you don't really often get a chance to see him as a leader of a team, but I, I think as a character that you could get behind, that you could um, trust to do the right thing, uh beyond the maxim of with great power comes responsibility with with great power comes great responsibility is the sort of a blue collar ethic of Peter Parker who has been down on his luck and knows what it's like to suffer but still stands up and tries to build himself up to a better person and meanwhile doesn't step on other people to do so Um, so as a a character in the comic books who had a, a big impact on me I've always been a Spider-Man is my number one superhero, so I think that Peter Parker is certainly on that list as well. Who else is on yours? Um, gosh, I put Captain Malcolm Reynolds, Major Kieran Reese, Raj Blake from Blake 7, um, Leo Organa, um, Dumbledore, I would say, Katniss Everdeen. I don't know. I had a whole bunch of people that break rank that go against the grain, basically. <laughs> That is interesting that they're the ones that, yeah, then they have to deal with, the, you know, or someone else has to deal with the fallout of their revolutionary tactics. Because that's, I mean, Katniss, man, she's, she's damaged. She is, but I, I mean, I think that she's a very interesting character. It, well, the thing about Katniss is that once you get into the really political stuff, she already gets pushed to the sideline. But yeah. um, I think that the stuff that she does or at least wants to do, um, I just think that she has a, a lot of lofty goals. Not everybody, not everybody has to succeed to be somebody that you think is admirable or does no, things that true. are worthwhile. Um, it's just interesting because she never, like, her story was never about, I guess that probably makes it better, is that she's never wanted to assume the mantle of leadership, really. It was just kind of thrust upon her. Right, well, I mean, that, and that's uh, that's sort of why I, I you know, I, I quoted Cisco because I think he's so quotable, but um, the fondness that I have for Major Kira, while she does take on some responsibility um, in the provisional government of Bejor, um, she really is coming from a place that was a freedom fighter against Cardassia and the Cardassian occupation of Bejor. And what I love about her is that she can be wrong so often. And that's the thing about being a revolutionary is that you're not, again, you're not going to always have that moral certainty. You might try to embrace it like you know you're right because sometimes you have to, but um, it's the risk that you're willing to take. That's why I like Kira so much, and that's why I like Katniss so much, is that sometimes they get it wrong, but that doesn't stop them from making an attempt when they know that there's injustice in the world. You know, Katniss is the most recent example on that list, so who are some of the current ones that you see on TV or within movies that that you think are, are leaders that, you either you enjoy watching, you can see why people would follow them, you kind of are rooting for them. I mean, I can say that it's probably an easy one to pick, but you know, Daenerys Targaryen on Game of Thrones, when she gets the right people behind her and listens to those people, she is a formidable leader, but she's also deeply flawed as far as not seeing the not picking up on the nuance that, that Picard might pick up on. Um, but I do enjoy her as a leader because I think at her core, she has the right um, mission in mind. But who are some modern ones that perhaps you you enjoy watching? Well, it's interesting because I think that in modern storytelling, especially there's a very, there's a big focus on creating nuance in characters and you can't have a character who's purely good or a purely good leader. They've got to have flaws. They got to have things that they fall down on. It's more compelling storytelling that way. But I guess maybe as a, <laughs> as a victim of the long, drawn-out, horribly traumatizing uh, American political process that we just went through, um, those the flaws are the things that jump out at me. Because I, I was trying to think of Game of Thrones, and there's there's characters on there who, you know, like in the right situation, like Tyrion would probably be a great leader. I mean, you see him succeed as Hand of the King, you know, despite everybody be, basically being against him. 
And but then you think he's also a drunk and he wouldn't hesitate to cut someone's head off if he you know felt like it was necessary, which is probably a little more ruthless than I would like my re- leaders to be. So it's a it's a tough call to pick a modern one for me. I guess I'm holding out for I'm holding out for the, I, I, that idealized vision, you know. I like John Jones over on Supergirl. He's he is he is the the leader of the uh, was the DEO. Yeah, yeah. I think he's great, and he is also flawed because he's got some complicated feelings about uh, Superman in particular, and the, the ways in which he deals with aliens, even though he himself is an alien. Uh, so I really enjoy him. If there was anybody who is in a real leadership position, I mean, I love Supergirl, but Supergirl was. You know, even though it's her show, I don't quite think of her as the leader of that show. I think of Jean as being the one that's taking the leadership role. So uh, for me, I think he really stands out as a complex figure, even in a largely upbeat show, having to make hard decisions and not necessarily always making decisions that everyone's going to like. So I really like him. He really stands out to me. Okay. So, you know, for the new administration coming in, uh, you're going to add uh, what to to if you could create a a binge list for uh, the new president. What are you putting on there? Wow. What are you what are you, wow. you going to make him watch to hopefully uh, you know inspire him to be a good leader? That is a loaded question. Um, I mean, look, I think. It's telling that both Danny and I, and based on you know what we talked about earlier, the Star Trek and its tone and its uh, aspirational element, I would basically prescribe the entire, all of Star Trek, basically, uh, from original series to the end of Enterprise and everything in between. Because I feel like whatever else, I mean... Kirk, you know, obviously was not a not a perfect captain or a perfect leader at all times. He was emotional. He was uh, hot headed, uh, but always striving to do the right thing, to do right by other people. Um, and you know, obviously, we talked about Picard, even Cisco, in the difficult situations he was in, and some of the the gray choices he had to make, was always striving for the greater good. And I think that, and and the idea of of. You know, although, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, and I'm sorry I'm taking up so much time. Uh, did you ever see the Craig Ferguson song about Doctor Who? Yes. That he did where he talked about the main themes of the show being the triumph of, what was it, intellect and something. Intellect and Opt- compassion. Optimism, I believe, over, yeah. over o- cynicism. Over and cynicism and brutality or brute strength. Yeah, brute st- over brute strength and cynicism. I think that's that's what we need. We need intellect and compassion triumphing over brute strength and cynicism. So maybe Doctor Who also. I was going to uh, go with Doctor Who as far as not always a great leader, um, definitely not always a uh, the guy that gets it right, um, but overall a character that has traditionally done his best, has gone to great pains to give people a second chance and to save people and to um, show compassion and be optimistic and really um, understand people that appear to be monsters, if you will, or enemies, but tries to see the larger picture. And doesn't carry a gun. Doesn't carry a gun, no. Carries a, yeah, a a tool, but not a gun. Um, So, uh, yeah, I was going to go with Doctor Who, so that's mine. Danny? Uh, He should watch the Hypnotoad from Futurama while I whisper in his ear. (laughs) That actually sounds pretty frightening on other levels, but... Um, but you know what? Let's give it a world. World. I'm willing to do that. Sure, why not? Anytime we can bring the Hypnotoad into play, that's a win all around. On the Hypnotoad note, which I did not expect to be the note that we end on, um, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Who Won the Week. Uh, if you like what you hear, uh, leave a review, subscribe to this podcast, share it with your friends. And you, too, can be a great inspirational leader that shares the message of Who Won the Week. Also, head over to Sci-Fi Wire and check out our awesome content, our awesome video content, and, uh, and say hello to us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Give us lots of likes, and we will, hey, we'll like you back.
And uh, before we wrap up and head out, uh, where can everybody find you guys? Adam. Sure. This is Adam Swiderski, editor-in-chief of Blaster, and you can find me all is hypnotoad. At, wait, where? At where? What all site? All is hypnotoad. No, wait, what site? No, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. But at Sci-Fi Wire. At Sci-Fi Wire. Did I say Blaster? You did. Oh, busted. my God. Old habits die hard. It was the hypnotoad. I blame the hypnotoad. <laughs> anyway, you can find me at Rock the Faces. On Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. And I am Danny Roth, contributing editor at Sci-Fi Wire. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Danny Ordinary. That is Danny with one N, Ordinary also with one N. And I'm Aaron Sagers, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Aaron Sagers. Also, uh, Facebook, Snapchat, and a lot of other places. But hey, wherever, however you find us, we hope we find you again next week for another episode of Who Won the Week. Thanks for listening.